welcome to the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara, a celebration of Bill Hannah, Joe Barbara, and the thousands of people past and present who have shared in their entertainment tradition. And now your host, Greg Airbar. Thank you, Chris Anthony. Welcome to our podcast. Our guest today, Greg Berg, is one of the most multi-talented and busiest voice actors and impressionists in Hollywood. He's worked with all the biggest studios on some of the most successful television shows and films. And he'll tell you about some of those things. We'll also talk about some of the iconic voices that he did. But first, I just want to welcome to our podcast, Greg Berg. And he doesn't like talking about himself. <laughs> That's when you have people like me inside me to uh, get all the craziness out. <laughs> Just a you know, quiet guy, actually. But I enjoy talking about the business and what I do. So hopefully other people uh, that are interested in uh, what I've done. I'm not there to say, hey, and I did this and I did that and all that. And then I wrote... Well, that's what's so interesting is not only the interesting career, but the interesting people that you meet. Well, I mean, you tell me how you got into this line of work and who inspired you. Well, I've been doing this 40 years, actually, now, professionally. So going way back, I'll give you the steps that I took. I grew up in Ohio. I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. So I lost the accent somewhere between New York and where I'm at now in California. And as a kid, I was a paper boy. And on my route, there happened to be a disc jockey that passed by my route. And I'd stop and give him a free newspaper each morning or whenever I saw him. And then he invited me to his radio show that he did in the morning where he was actually performing two other voices aside from himself two older voices that were bickering with each other and then he'd step in and so this was the fad in this town of akron ohio that i was growing up in mm -hmm. and he invited me to watch his show so i would watch him do a four-hour show or three-hour show talking to himself like that and it somehow planted a seed in my mind interesting how somebody can do more than their own natural voice so as I grew up in my teens, I started playing with doing other voices because I started to wonder how come everybody else doesn't sound like each other. <laughs> I have relatives that had a thick Cleveland accent, and I started to say, well, they're my relatives. I wonder if I could talk like them, and I started to imitate them to where I fooled my family occasionally. I made them think the relatives were visiting <laughs> we and, did that too <laughs> oh okay carried over into my school i was the morning pa guy mm -hmm. I, it was the first year i ever went to that particular school so they didn't know what to expect i didn't know what to expect and i did the morning announcements in different voices so if it was uh, reading the school sports i would do howard cosell going this week at north high they took on the raging south high or uh, wombats or whatever <laughs> and then it would say, okay, now it's time for the school lunch menu for today. And I'd do Julia Child saying, today we have roast beaver face. <laughs> and, uh, and I was told it was the first time the whole school kept quiet during the announcements. There, there you go. There you go. Okay, so then we did that for about two weeks. And then the principal came up to me and said, um, don't do that anymore. That's too silly or something Of like course, that. there always has to be someone who, yeah, yeah. 
goes back to squashing the uh, talent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we had teachers that were substitute teachers uh, for one reason or another. There was one particular class I remember imitating the teacher. And the thing is, when you do a voice or uh, repeat something in somebody else's voice, they don't really know that you're doing it. Your voice doesn't sound the same in your head as it does out. Right. Uh, So what we're talking about here is just the beginning of things, because there may be listeners that have been doing that and thought they were crazy (laughs) for doing it. (laughs) It's the start of something big in cases. So I imitated the teacher that kids were just rolling on the floor because the teacher would say, you know, today in biology, we're going to go to page three. Then I'd raise my hand and I said, didn't we do page three last week? The kids would start laughing and then he wouldn't know (laughs) what was going on. That was my fun times. And then it grew to where I got a job at an actual radio station in town, other than the one that my friend was working at. And from there, I heard all kinds of audio and met all kinds of people. I, I was became a producer of a celebrity talk show. Oh. So I met some of the greats here in my late teens, going way back from Van Johnson to Dionne Warwick, Isaac Hayes, people from TV, Dan Brown. Near where I was living, there was a dinner theater, and they were appearing there. Or else they were just visiting Cleveland. At one point, Jerry Lewis came into our studio and did an interview. So I met people like that, and I started getting the bug that, why can't I be like them, and what do I have to do to be like them? Being with radio, it also made me think, how do I do what they were doing while being in radio? And it led to people telling me, you know, you can make a lot more doing commercials than just running everything for the show. So I said, well, what do I do? And then these people in the know told me either go to New York or Los Angeles and get involved with commercial announcing because it was just building way back then where those were the hubs where most of the work was coming from. Even Chicago, Chicago was a choice, but the weather wasn't something I would have wanted to dive into. (laughs) So that made me pursue going to Los Angeles because I had relatives in New York and I didn't want to grow up with the relatives to distract me from what I really wanted to get into. And I made my way through the business. I took lessons, I met people where I could. I actually started comedy character acting Mm -hmm. with Harvey Lembeck. Yes. And he was coaching at the time Robin Williams, John Ritter, and a lot of people from the Happy Day show that was on. And that was something I said, yeah, I'm silly and I want to do crazy characters like that. I studied with Harvey for a couple of years. And then Second City came to town, and I studied with Second City, and only the best. A National Lampoon Comedy Workshop was going on. I studied with the Groundlings. You know, you go through different steps to be seen and heard and all that. Did I want to wait five years before I can be discovered somehow? So I just kept climbing the ladder where I could. And one thing led to another where auditions came up for what I did, and I took it from there. Many are familiar with the Groundlings and the Second City classes and that sort of thing. Harvey Lembeck really was renowned for the careers he helped launch or or at least gave assistance to. What were the classes like with him? Did he do an Eric Von Zipper impression for you? You, I don't like. You, he don't like. And when Eric Von Zipper don't like somebody, they stay don't like. What is all this? The carbon monoxide commandos. Stand up. Grab my wrist. Don't do it, boss. 
Now, you try to stop me, but you won't be able to because Eric Von Zippa has muscles of steel from Sicklin. Now, I'm just going to point this finger at your temple. I'm going to give you a... <clears throat> My money's on you, Rick. Like this? <laughs> Boss done it again. Give himself the finger. Let's get him out of here. Pick He's fragile. Up. Don't break him. Eric Von Zippa will return. Well, uh, watching him, I would just say this is what a pro comedian is like. But he also did serious things. Yes. Yes, because he was, uh, goes back to the 50s. He worked with Phil Silvers, the best of the best in those days. I was there to, which is part of learning to be a voice actor or any actor, take your classes and hopefully you learn from them and progress. Mm-hmm. I was with the class just to do the acting training and hopefully get into comedy character on camera work. But then Harvey died at the beginning of the 80s when I was there. So I was stuck saying, "Okay, what do I do now? I found the other classes to study. And it was all a matter of luck with timing that these classes happen to show up. And Harvey worked with like setting up an improv. Or something you might see on a sitcom because he was geared to getting you ready to work for TV or something with content. He might say something like, come in the room with uh, something that distracts people. So it was up to you to create and come up with something like your guy who talks very loud or something like that at a party. The funny stuff would come out of that. The good people would learn and know what would work and what wouldn't work. They would only say one word very loud. It would be distracting and funny as well. The other thing that happened in the early 80s, so he was gearing me and the classes up to be in character-driven comedy projects like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and Mork and Mindy. Well, in the early 80s, they all happened to leave TV. (laughs) Mm. And people uh, didn't see those silly comedies anymore. They were more writer-driven, something like Murphy Brown or Designing Women. But on, uh, like, Laverne and Shirley, you had Lenny and Squiggy, and they were silly characters. And if you remember Laverne and Shirley with David Lander as Squiggy, I eventually met him at an autograph party of some sort. I met Cindy Williams, and I said, you know, Cindy, I was trying to be like Squiggy one day and come on to the show, if that's possible. (laughs) (laughs) And then she looked at me, she says, why do I know you? And I said, we never met before, but then she says, but you know... Billy Crystal wanted to do that, too. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, so uh, if they were going to even have cousins like that come in, they would have gone that route, more or less. But I knew I was on track with doing what I did. So after those shows left and more of those brainier shows were coming out, I said, what do I do with these characters I can do? And somebody suggested do them for commercials or animation. So I went to schools, workshops, and all that I could find at that time. Apparently, there were just a few dozen good performers to do animation at that time, as you see the credits on a lot of the shows back then. You see people like John Biner and Henry Corden and people that came from early movies and TV like Artie Johnson they used and, mm-hmm. and such, some cartoons as well. You know, again, I felt I was on track and I took my workshops with people like Michael Bell, Dawes Butler, and learned through osmosis what uh, i needed to do to perform as a good performer yeah let's talk about dawes butler because he 
I mean, Michael Bell, too. A lot of these people were very instrumental. I mean, to this day, as we're speaking to you, because you're still very active and stuff, influencing the voice acting art and people's careers, whether they were directly in this class or people who were in this class, like you said, through osmosis, learned. It must have been a very, very exciting time. Who were the other people in your class at the time? Do you remember? Well, with Dawes, I did one-on-ones. I have a couple of cassette tapes when he was sitting with me and saying, okay, say this like this and all this. And I'm just realizing Dawes was in his 60s. And thinking of doing voices with him, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, Dawes is here, and he was a very nice, sweet guy. And this is the voice that I remember hearing when he met me. Hi, Greg, how are you? (laughs) And... uh, Oh, these are bringing back memories of uh, being with Dawes. Uh, that was one-on-one. Some of the other classes, um, well, let's say I, I studied with a commercial director, Elaine Craig, who was doing some great casting in commercials back then. There would be actors in her workshop that were recognizable and kind of do commercials. So when you say who who had been there, I mean, other than the Harvey Lembeck workshop, there were Shirley Hilton and Donna Dixon and people that were brushing up on their comedy and acting skills and character work. Voice-wise, there were groups of us, I remember, that came and went. You know, as far as names go, I mean, the big names were already in the business, so they weren't at these workshops. So these are people like myself trying to start. But if you're on track and one thing, it's almost like a trapeze coming to you. You reach out and it's there for you. You grab that and it takes you to an ex-trapeze rung. And I reached out for that and things happen to be there for me. Yeah, that's a good analogy because occasionally you might have to fall into the net, but you learn how to roll into the net. And sometimes learning how to roll into that net is just as important as catching the next trapeze. One of the things that Dawes talked about a lot was the difference between just doing a funny voice and acting. And as an impressionist, you do spot-on impressions, but you also know that you don't just sound like them. You have to act them. Well, that's gotten me some work quite a bit. Again, I open my talents up to be a multi-voice talent, knowing the range, what I can hit, and what I can try for, like Dawes' characters. He also started off but doing some impressions too. Mm-hmm. And Charles Blotton and people from his era. Again, when it comes to doing what you want to do, that's why I, in the back of my mind right now too, I'm thinking of people listening, whatever they're searching for to get their starts in this business, just throw it up there <laughs> against the wall. And if you can do silly characters, that's what it is. It's not doing voices as uh, Dawes did. And Mel Blanc, I'm told, also looked at it as doing characters because you'd see the character and you'd know when he starts to do it, Yosemite Sam or whatever. And another thing happened after growing up watching Dawes, it was in, in my mind to try to imitate some of his characters but i didn't want to uh, embarrass him or put him like i, I can do you because people do that a lot lately when <laughs> there's people that can imitate all the simpsons they uh, are doing other cartoon shows that other people are already cast on and you know, it's fun to play with that but i always learn try to be original and if not be good at what you're going to do if you're going to try to match somebody I wanted to ask you now, what were some of the first times that you got into doing voices, and particularly with Hanna-Barbera? Do you remember um, cracking that area pretty much after you'd done the training, or did it take a while? 
Well, as training, I was learning the craft. So the names came up, Warner Brothers, Hanna-Barbera, but Warner Brothers had Mel Blanc and other people that were far better than me at the time. I was looking at Hanna-Barbera to see what would I be able to fit in with them if they're coming up with a new character or something like that. When I came into Hollywood in my 20s, they had the veteran voice people that they always went to. It was a small group. I was more or less new on the block, so there wasn't much younger talent out there that everybody would even think of. So I wind up putting my voice out there and I get cast. I've done things before Muppet Babies. That's another show from mm-hmm. Marvel. time being able to do a young version of the Muppets. Again, there were a lot of older veteran actors out there, but they couldn't reach the younger sound. So mm-hmm. again, right place, right time. I auditioned for it and I got the voice for baby Fozzie and baby Scooter. The bear tested jokes and he's still a little kid in my mind. And then uh, Scooter is way up here and he's always working on his computer and coming up with jokes for Fozzie. That's the range I was able to hit, and I got cast for that. And then, again, luck struck because a lot of the studios started to want to do young versions of their characters. Then there was uh, Warner Babies or something like <laughs> There that. was a Babies or a young uh, little kid version of almost tiny. everything. <laughs> yeah, the Tiny Toons, that's what it was. You know, yep. But everybody was coming up with, Hanna-Barbera came up with the idea to do a show called Yo Yogi, Mm-hmm. which took all their classic characters and had them as kids. So again, they needed a younger sounding voice and everything came together because I studied with Dawes and I heard that they were casting and I said, whoever gets it, I hope knows the heart of what Dawes was doing. And sure enough, Greg Burson wound up being Yogi, Yogi Bear. They hired him to be the new Yogi Bear Mm -hmm. after Dawes passed away, but he studied with Dawes 20 years or more, so I was happy that they went that way with the voice and character. And then they said, we're also going to do Young Huckleberry Hound. And I said, well, again, I thought, uh, you know, watching Dawes and how he did it, he was just laid back and doing what he did. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my audition for Young Huck, and I was cast. Uh, of course, the older I got and the more attentive I got, I could do a Snagglepuss. What do you know? Or his other characters as well. But they were covered one way or another. They did bring me back for the Hanna-Barbera tribute. Yeah, the, I think it was a 50-year special. They brought in Henry Corden and the group of longtime actors to cover their main characters. But again, they needed a couple of Dawes' characters included Baba Louie, and the other one was Augie Doggy. So Baba Louie is the way I did it this way. Sing your quick straw. They only had him do a line or two, and Augie Doggy, oh, my doggy daddy is my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Those are covering those voices for dogs as well. I, I just feel so honored to be in this business. Always look forward to my next voice. Like Mal Blanc, who did so many voices that it required many people 
and over the years, lots of people to do all those voices that just one actor did. It's the same with Dawes. There is something within that voice and that talent he could do. They were one of a kind. Both of them were one of a kind. So it's an astonishing phenomenon. People that are wanting to do characters, basically, if you can do five characters, if you can do three or four accents, then you can do something like 20 voices. When we talked about doing like an impression of somebody, uh, again, I'm doing their characters, not their impression of a voice. Right. There was a search for doing Robert De Niro's voice. And these days you see a lot of people imitating him from Taxi Driver or his uh, gangster movies. When I went in, there were 12 of us trying out, 10 or 12. And we're in this room. They took us in one at a time. And I'd hear the people trying to match his voice for a film where they something went wrong, where they needed a line or two. or They were cutting out bad words. I think that's what it was. They do that a lot, too. They're not going to bring in the actor just for a line or two or three or four words to change. I was able to hear a couple of them trying to sound like Robert De Niro from Taxi Driver. I said, well, as I hear him, he would basically talk like this and just say, you know, it's good to see you today. And what is it that you want me to say? Just casually did him talking. They told me I I got it. And that's the typical thing that happens when some of the beginners are trying to impress people. Like if they needed Sylvester Stallone, they'd come in doing his Rocky voice and not his personal character. It's not a stand-up routine, and it's not uh, an SNL sketch. You're not just going for the the well-known line, you know, pita, 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 Judy, Judy, Judy. You have to be them as the actor, which is totally different, really. That's why it's called voice acting. It's not voice performing other people. I mean, you got Rich Little and all that, and he's known for doing his dubbing of other actors that couldn't make it. There's nothing wrong with doing it for stand-up or as that, but when you have to do it for a character, that's a completely different thing. Can you reveal some of the other famous voices that you've looped? Well, yeah, because I have a separate resume for that or just additional to it, but I've done Kiefer Sutherland's voice, Donald Sutherland's voice from the late 60s, (laughs) and John Travolta uh, in one of his earlier movies. These are things where, like, in Travolta's case, he was on the telephone, so they needed somebody to sound like him. So I basically said, you know, yeah, I think we should get together or something like that, you know. And so (laughs) there is some obscure, like, people remember the bald guy from Top Gun. He was in a different movie. He was the commander in Top Gun. He was in a movie. I said, oh, I remember that guy. And so I matched his voice quite well. Another great one was Harvey Keitel. He was in a couple movies. I think it was Analyze This, and then they had Analyze That. Another voice that, if you remember, Sam Kinison. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, Sam is like this, and uh, yeah, I even knew him. And he says, hey, hey, I'm talking to you. (laughs) As I say, I've been doing this for 40 years, so people are still finding out about me. But I constantly hear myself, the older I get, saying, wait, now I can reach this particular voice or that one. There's at least a dozen other celebrities that I've voiced. I know what my range is, so I won't say, hey, I can do that voice. But you just never know. One time I might get a call and say, hey, can you do this or that? And that's kind of how it works with me. At least I know I can hit the right notes. Do you see that there's this audition for this certain voice? And then 
brush up on it or do you keep abreast of all of the different ones you can do and sort of study them and keep sort of a, a log of them? Well, I do have my voice list. I mean, when I first came into town in the early 80s and I was just putting out a simple commercial reel back then, put your voice on a reel tape and then send it around, I would do my commercial reads and people would say, you know what, you sound like a young Casey Kasem. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, he's on this and that and that. And then they said, yeah, but that's just it. They don't want that because he's on everything. <laughs> but I've kept the voice. And oddly enough, I've never read for anything he's done uh, when they were doing all those Scooby-Doo recasting, you know. So I even met his daughter once. And I said, people said, I sound like your dad. She said, oh, okay, I'll close my eyes. And I said, Hi, this is Casey Kasem, and I'm on the radio next week. Talk to you then. And then she goes, oh, my gosh, that's my dad. And now, folks, please stay with us for part two when voice artist Greg Berg continues his adventures with Casey Kasem, his friendship with Henry Corden, and much more. <laughs> 